0: Book Three, Chapter Seventeen, of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book Three, Chapter 17. The widest land doom takes to part us leaves thy heart in mine with pulses that beat double. What I do and what I dream include thee. As the wine must taste of its own grapes and when I sue God for myself he hears that name of thine and sees within my eyes the tears of two. The cottage was hired a little rustic box of a place containing four rooms and a kitchen with a lean two roof a habitation just redeemed from absolute commonness by a prettily arranged garden a green porch and one bow window but Gertrude, who came to Heatheridge with her worldly goods in a cab, declared the place charming, worthy of Mr. Ford's excellent taste. This was before noon of the day after Malcolm heard of Lord Pauline's death. He had lost no time, but had taken the cottage, engaged the woman who kept it to act as servant, seen Dr. Cameron, who had that morning received a letter from Mr. Foljam, the lawyer, and was inexpressibly shocked at the event which it announced and had wrung from him a somewhat reluctant consent to the sisters seeing each other on the following day there is a marked improvement yes i may venture to say a decided improvement but lady paulyn is hardly as well as i could wish the mind still wanders nor is the physical health all i could desire Oh, "'But that, doubtless, will be benefited by milder weather.' "'And freedom,' said Malcolm Ford eagerly. "'Elizabeth's soul is too wild a bird not to languish in a cage. "'Give her back to the scenes of her youth and the free air of heaven, "'and I will be responsible for the completion of her cure. "'You will not tell her of her husband's death yet a while, I suppose?' "'I think not. The shock might be too great in her present weak condition.' Three o'clock in the afternoon was the hour Dr. Cameron appointed for the interview, and at half-past two Mr. Ford called at the cottage. He had promised to take Gertrude to the park gate and to meet her in the Heatheridge Road on her return, so that he might have early tidings of the interview. It was a balmy afternoon in early spring the leafless elms faintly stirred by one of those mild west winds which March sometimes steals from his younger brother April, an afternoon of sunshine and promise which cheats the too hopeful soul with the fond delusion that summer was not very far off, that equinoctial gales are done with and the hawthorn blossom ready to burst through the russet brown of the hedgerows. Heatheridge is a spot beautiful even in winter, essentially beautiful in spring when the undulating pastures that slope away from the crest of the hill down to the very edge of the distant city are clothed in their freshest verdure and dotted with wild purple crocuses which flourish in profusion on some of the heatheridge pastures heatheridge has as yet escaped the builders half a dozen country houses for the most part of the william and mary period are scattered along the rural looking road A few more clustered near the green shops there are none only a village inn with sweet-smelling white curtained bedchambers and humble sanded parlours and a row of cottages an avenue of ancient elms and a village church to close the vista at the church gates the road makes a sudden wind and descends the hill gently still keeping high above the distant city and the broad valley between to the gates of Heatheridge Park. This bright afternoon seems a good omen, said Malcolm Ford, as he and Gertrude came near this gate. Oh dear Mr Ford, surely you are not superstitious exclaimed Gertrude with a shocked air. Superstitious no but one is cheered by the sunshine. I am glad the sun will shine on your first meeting with your sister think of her gertrude a prisoner on this lovely day but she's not a prisoner in the slightest degree don't you remember dr cameron told us she was to have carriage airings yes to be driven out with other patients i suppose for a stiff little drive i don't think elizabeth would mistake that for liberty this is the gate I'll leave you to find your own way to the house. I have no permission to cross the boundary. You will find me here when you come back." He waited a long hour, his imagination following Gertrude into that old red-brick mansion, his fancy seeing the face he loved almost as vividly as he had seen it with his bodily eyes that night at Dunallen. What would be the report? Would she strike Gertrude strangely as a changed creature? Not the sister she had known a year or two ago, but a being divided from her by a great gulf, distant, unapproachable, strange as the shadowy semblance of the very dead. It was an hour of unspeakable anxiety. All his future life seemed now to hang upon what Gertrude should tell him when she came out of that gate at first he had walked backwards and forwards for a distance of about a quarter of a mile by the park fence later he could not do this so eagerly did he expect gertrude's return but stood on the opposite side of the road with his back against a stile watching the gate she came out at last walking slowly with her veil down his watch told him that she had been just a few minutes more than an hour His heart would have made him believe that he had waited half a day. She did not see him and was walking toward the village when he crossed the road and placed himself by her side. "'Well?' he cried eagerly. "'Tell me everything, for God's sake! Did she know you? Was she pleased to see you? Did she talk reasonably, like her old self?' Gertrude did not answer immediately. He repeated his question. "'For God's sake, tell me!' yes she said not looking up she knew me and seemed rather pleased and talked of our old life at hawley and poor papa and was very reasonable i don't think there is much the matter with her mind (gasps) thank god thank god i knew he would be good to us i knew he would listen to our prayers and she is better nearly well oh god bless that "'Good Dr Cameron. I was inclined to hate him at first "'and to think that he meant to lock her up and hide her from us all the days of her life. "'But he only did what was right and he has cured her. "'Gertrude, why do you keep your veil down like that "'and your head bent so that I can't see your face? "'There's nothing to be unhappy about now that she's so much better. "'If she knew you and talked to you reasonably of the past she must be very much better you should be as glad as i am as grateful for god's mercy to us he took hold of her arm trying to look into her face but she turned away from him and burst into a passion of weeping she's dying she said at last i saw death in her face she's dying and i have helped to kill her dying elizabeth dying he uttered the words mechanically like a man half stunned by a terrible blow She is dying gertrude repeated with passionate persistence dr cameron may talk of her being only a little weak and getting well again when the mild weather comes but she will never live to see the summer those hollow cheeks those bright bright eyes they pierced me to the heart That was how Mamma looked, just like that, a few months before she died, just like Elizabeth today. That little worrying cough, those hot, dry hands, all the dreadful signs I know so well. Oh, Mr. Ford, for God's sake, don't look at me like that, with that dreadful look in your face. You make me hate myself worse than ever, and I've hated myself bitterly enough ever since ever since what he asked with a sudden searching look in his eyes his face white as the face of death had he not just received his death-blow or the more cruel death-blow of all his sweet new-born hopes his new life ever since what he repeated sternly she cowered and shrank before him looking at the ground and trembling like some hunted animal since i tried to part you and elizabeth she said i suppose it was very wicked though i wrote only the truth but everything's gone wrong with us since then it seemed as if i had let loose a legion of troubles you tried to part us you wrote only the truth what then the anonymous letter that sowed the seeds of my besotted jealousy was your writing it was the truth word for word as i heard it from frederick melvin and you wrote an anonymous letter the meanest vilest form which malice ever chooses for its cowardly assault to part your sister and her lover may i ask miss luttrell what i had done to deserve this from you that i will never tell you she said looking up at him for the first time doggedly i will not trouble you for your reasons You did what you could to poison my life, and perhaps your sisters, and now you tell me she is dying. But she shall not die, he cried passionately, if prayer and love can save her. I will wrestle for my darling as Jacob wrestled with the angel. I will supplicate day and night. I will give her the best service of my heart and brain. If science and care and limitless love can save her, she shall be saved.' "'but I think you had better go back to Devonshire, Miss Lutterall, "'and let me have your sister plunge for my ally. "'It was not your letter that parted us, however. "'I was not quite weak enough to be frightened by any anonymous slander. "'It was my own hot-headed folly, "'or your sister's fatal pride, that severed us. "'Only I should hardly like to have you about her after what you have told me. "'There would be something too much of Judas in the business.' mr ford how hard you are towards me and i acted for the best said gertrude whimpering i thought i was only doing my duty towards you i felt so sure that you and elizabeth were unsuited to each other that she could never make you happy pray who taught you to take the measure of my capacity for happiness cried mr ford with sudden passion Your sister was the only woman who ever made me happy. He checked himself, remembering that this was treason against that gentler soul he had loved and lost. The only woman who ever made me forget everything in this world except herself. The only woman who could have kept me a bond-slave at her feet, who could have put a distaff in my hand and made me false to every purpose of my life. But that is all past now and if god gives her back to me i will serve him as truly as i love her oh say that you forgive me dear mr Ford," pleaded gertrude in a feeble piteous voice you can't despise me more than i despise myself and yet i acted with the belief that i was only doing my duty it seemed right for you to know i used to think it over in church even and it seemed only right that you should know Oh, do say you forgive me say that i forgive you cried mr ford bitterly what is the good of my forgiveness can it undo the great wrong you did if that letter parted us if it turned the scale by so much as a feather's weight i forgive you freely enough i despise you too much to be angry Oh, that is very cruel Do you expect to gather grapes from the thorns you planted? Be content if the thorn has not stung you to death. But you'll let me stay, won't you, Mr. Ford? And see my poor sister as often as Dr. Cameron will allow me. Remember, I was not obliged to confess this to you. I might have kept my secret forever. You would never have suspected me. Hardly. I knew it was a woman's work. But I could not think it was a sister's i told you of my own free will blackened myself in your eyes and if you are so hard upon me where can i expect compassion let me stay and do what i can to be a comfort to elizabeth how can i be sure that you are sincere that you really wish her well you may be planning another anonymous letter you may consider it your duty to come between us again what? With my sister on the brink of the grave cried gertrude bursting into tears tears which seemed the outpouring of a genuine grief so be it then you shall stay and i will try to forget you ever did that mean and wicked act you forgive me as i hope god has already forgiven you End of book three, chapter seventeen.